Shalom and welcome again to another Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Welcome. We thank you for joining us today. Uh, if you'd like to contact us with ideas or suggestions, please feel free to email me, rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. Check out the website, jewishsacredaging.com. And if you want to, um, go to the Jewish Sacred Aging Facebook page and like us there and we'll like you back. Several years ago, we um, had a conversation with Hesh Zimmerman, one of the advocates and activists in the our area here, the greater Philadelphia area, in the LGBTQ community. And subsequent to that conversation, which was, as we were talking before, a few years ago, um, many things have changed socially, economically, and legally. So we decided that uh, with a growing number of LGBTQ seniors now uh, as part of the baby boom and the aging of our generation, it was time to bring back Hesh uh, and sort of like follow up on some of the ideas and issues that we talked about uh, several years ago. So Hesh Zinman, advocate and ag- activist in the LGBT community here in the greater Philadelphia area. Welcome. Baruch Haba. Nice to see you again. I'm feeling, How are you feeling very Hesh? well. Thank you. Nice to see you, Rabbi. Uh, it's nice been to be a while. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic, definitely. Um, let me jump right into to something that we actually spent some time with a couple of years ago, and I'm I'm very anxious to, to hear your reaction, any updates and things like that. One of the things that you were talking about was the real need as um, our age cohort, uh, really was, is, was beginning to age out and is increasing in our aging process and changes in the body. Um, places, facilities, um, CCRCs, assisted living facilities, specifically for the LGBTQ community. And I know you mentioned the place in Philadelphia and there are other places in, around the country. Has that expanded? How those facilities uh, expanded in these last couple of years. So, uh, the last time we spoke, we we talked about the John C. Anderson Apartments uh, on 13th right. Street between Locust and Spruce Street in Philadelphia. It's a 56 unit, six story complex, and uh, you know it's been uh, amazing to see the community that has formed at the John C. Anderson Apartments. Um, I will say, though, that uh, it is uh, there has not been any new developments for uh, LGBTQ senior living in Philadelphia. There are, however, similar models of housing, one that's just being built in Pittsburgh. Um, and so, uh, you know, we have, there is a tremendous need for housing among seniors of all types in this country. LGBTQ adults, older adults, are twice as likely to live alone and four times as likely to not have children. So that makes it more difficult to age successfully in your home and in your community if you're doing it on your own. It's a, Housing is a a great concern for LGBTQ older adults, and you know, as it is for most older people. However, LGBTQ people often experience uh, discrimination by property managers, by staff 
other residents and even service providers uh, when when they're out there looking for uh, rental and senior housing. So, you know, the, the reality is that housing for LGBTQ seniors can be miserable and sometimes even life-threatening. 70% of LGBTQ elders fear having to go back into the closet uh, themselves as they start seeking elder housing. And, you know, we know firsthand that social isolation and poverty and a lack of access to affordable and welcoming housing uh, poses major challenges as we get older. One of the most important decisions I will say that we make as elders is where we're going to live during our elder years. And, uh, you know, we simply want a place um, to live that's welcoming, uh, where we can be ourselves, where we can be treated with respect and with compassion so that we don't have to go back into the closet. And so, you know, when it comes to housing, Rabbi, we look for uh, policies and practices and and culture um, which are all factors when considering where we want to live. Um, so, you know, and we know that uh, in order to successfully age, and this is not just for LGBTQ people, but in order to successfully age, uh, we have to look for aging services and supports um, that are critical. Um, however, because again, because we've been discriminated, uh, and our current lived experience prevents many LGBT seniors from accessing the care and support that they need to thrive. Um, you know, I could give you a lot of statistics, um, which I'm not going to do. Suffice it to say that, uh, you know, LGBTQ older people report feeling isolated from others. Uh, in this country, 50% of all Americans living with HIV are over the age of 50. And so finding, you know, finding pl a place to live that's welcoming um, and that uh, understands the issues surrounding HIV is, is really important. 65% uh, of older transgender respondents to this survey felt that they would be limited, there would be limited access to care as they age. Um, and so, you know, simply, Rabbi, the goal is to build, the goal is to build a world where LGBTQ people can age with dignity and respect, uh, where we can access services like meal assistance and senior center programs, health and wellness promotions, uh, caregiver support, benefits, enrollment, transportation, all the things that you need to grow old healthfully, safely. Um, and so, you know, some of these issues uh, would be settled if we had uh, an Equality Act, uh, an Equality Act, which we have been lobbying for in Washington, which would basically amend the uh, Human Relations Act to include um, LGBTQ people um, to be free from discrimination from public accommodations, um, just various institutions we, where we are currently 
uh, I want to say not welcome. Uh, you know, so right. we're just, you know, looking at how do we advocate for equality in this country? Um, and so far, we've not been able to get the Equality Act passed. Um, Okay, so um, let me let me yeah. let me stop you there because we're recording this in the middle of December. Uh, this will post um, about a month from now. The government has just signed the Marriage Equality Act. Yet at the same time, the Supreme Court is dealing with cases that would allow the I think it's somebody in Colorado, the baker, to say I I don't want to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple it's against my uh religious beliefs so it, it seems to be that on the one hand we're moving forward and on the other hand we're moving uh, backward um i would say you're right <laughs> you know especially uh if you look at the events of the past couple of years um we seem to be going backwards in some cases I mean, specifically, you know, if we just look at uh, transgender issues, LGBTQ issues, it seems that LGBTQ and transgender has become a wedge issue um, for a certain party, uh, political party in this country. According to the Human Rights Campaign, there have been 346 anti-LGBTQ bills filed in state legislatures around the country, including 145 that restrict transgender rights. And many of these bills aim to restrict gender-affirming care for trans minors, uh, prohibit trans girls and women from competing in girls' sports teams in high school, and bar the instruction of topics related to sexual orientation or gender identity in schools. Uh, so, you know, we have these right. wedge issues. We have groups coming out against trans rights and LGBTQ rights. And in the face of not having full equality, which we would have through the passage of the Equality Act, um, we're stuck. We're stuck. And so what we've done, what we've been able to do is pass the, um, the rec recognition of marriage act, the reform. Why am I, I'm blocking this, but I will. Yeah, it's the, it's the respect for marriage act, the respect for marriage act. And what the Respect for Marriage Act does is it uh, That's okay. the marriage overturns DOMA, which was the Defense of Marriage Act, which defined right. marriage as between a man and a woman. The whole gender controversy, which seems to be swirling around as never before in the last couple of years, it, it's part of, I, I, I think... Uh, it's part of a much larger um, retreat. I think that's a good word. Retreat into some sort of uh, psycho, spiritual, social 
um, silo. Hesh is the 21st century. Why are, why are people so still afraid of all this stuff? Why are they afraid? So I think, uh, you know, they would say, uh, we impinge on their religious freedom. So for example, the Respect for Marriage Act got passed with some Republican support um, because we basically said that you do, so folks who have those beliefs, folks who perform marriages, would not have to perform marriages for same-sex couples. So it it comes right out and says if you if you're doing if you're performing marriages and you have issues with LGBTQ people, you don't have to perform it, and it's okay. And so, uh, not so basically, the fact that we said it's okay for you not to marry us that that eased the uh the position of certain republicans such that they were able to sign on to the respect for marriage act okay so uh basically it says we can we can get married um in a state that does not allow for lgbtq marriages that state does not have to issue a marriage license. So I have to, uh, if I'm in North Dakota and I want to get married to my uh, uh, partner, um, I have to go to another state to get a marriage license and get married. However, once I'm married, when I come back to North Dakota, they have to acknowledge and recognize that I am married. Uh, that I'm in a same-sex marriage. So, and federally, the government needs to uh, uh, acknowledge and recognize same-sex marriages. So, one, the fact that it overturns the DOMA with the definition of uh, marriage being between a man and a woman, that now allows me to gain access to more than 1,100 federal uh, programs and benefits that come with marriage, um, which as a gay man, I had previously been denied. So respect, re- respect for marriage act. I can get married, uh, Pennsylvania. I can get married, um, in North Dakota. I can't get married. I won't be able to get a marriage license, but I'll be able to go to a state that does recognize same-sex marriage and get married. And North Dakota has, to, I want to say, has to eat it. They have to, they have to recognize my marriage. So, you know, we've made progress. However, you know, if we had uh, the Equality Act, which would ban discrimination based on sex, orientation, gender identity, and expands the definition of public accommodations, we wouldn't have to worry about a, a Respect for Marriage Act. We'd be able to get married. So we are, uh, you know, we're gaining, we're making progress incrementally. Uh, we're, we're gaining, making progress incrementally and, uh, you know, working across the aisle. And it seems that the, that the folks who oppose 
same-sex marriage do so because they don't want to be they don't want their rights trampled on they don't want to be forced to perform a marriage uh and there's the case now in colorado uh where the the web designer uh does not want to be uh does not want to have to design webs uh you know web web pages for queer folk um now mind you no one's asked her and no one's come to her and said, would you do this so that she's responding with a lawsuit? She's basically saying, uh, in the event that someone comes to me who's uh, a member of the LGBTQ community, I don't need to perform any services for them. And so, uh, you know, you could see where people, why are people afraid? Uh, not sure. I, you know, if you, if you say it's based off of, uh, religious beliefs, well, uh, you know, you can interpret the Bible, um, several different ways, you know, <clears throat> and come away with, um, <clears throat> come away with things that we're restricted from doing if we, if we break God's law. So, you know, if we, do something on the Sabbath, I believe that, you know, there's a, you could be put to death for doing something on the Sabbath. Um, I'm reminded of, there was a old West Wing, um, <clears throat> a, a West Wing, uh, where Jeb Bartlett, uh, is getting, uh, some pushback from religious folk about, um, working on the Sabbath or about some issue. And, and he goes in and talks about everything that could happen to him if he broke a law in the Bible. Uh, you know, uh, playing football with a pigskin, uh, football, you know, you could be put to death. So, you know, you could interpret the Bible, um, to suit your own belief system. And so for these people, uh, I want to say these people, not all, uh, not all, I don't even want to ascribe it to a party, but not all conservative people, um, believe, you know, that LGBTQ people are sinners. You know, it's, it's not everyone, but the, you know, the main thrust of the religious right has to do with you know, being anti-LGBTQ, anti-transgender. And so they're, they're taking it, you know, they're interpreting it and they're running with it. And so we've got to do everything that's possible to protect our community. So let me go back to, if I can, something that you touched on earlier, because it seems to be a growing phenomenon, um, in the country. And you alluded to the fact that it is a growing phenomenon within the, within the LGBTQ community. And that is the growing number of individuals who are alone, who, um, in the literature now, uh, there's a term, cause we've done a podcast with one of the people who wrote a book on this called solo agers. These are people who are growing older. They have no family. They have no spouse. They have no, thus they have no children. They are facing perhaps some major decisions about their, not only their housing, but their health care and care care, uh, by themselves. 
so um, this has become increasingly part of some of the workshops that we do because there's many more people. How it, how is the community? How's the how's the LGBT community beginning to, given what you just said before, with the with the constraints on housing and some of the prejudices about staff? But um, are there organizations that are reaching out to the community and talking about, hey, these are resources; these are people you can count on to to develop a care plan in case, God forbid, you have to have some a procedure, you have to go into a facility uh, that will help you create a um, you know, your advanced directive and have your wishes known. Right. Where, how is, where's that right now? So, uh, so for example, the LGBT elder initiative have, uh, since we were founded in 2010, been doing programs around, uh, end of life, um, end of life care, end of life planning, uh, legal documents, wills, power of attorneys, um, so we have been providing programs and bringing people in who hear about the various documents that you should have, uh, that you should take care of in, as you age. Um, and then actually providing a w- workshops where people fill out their wills, um, and, and have the will signed by a witness. Um, a lot of people, you know, have never made a will. Right. Uh, even as they age, they've not made a will. And so to provide a service where we can actually talk about this. So organizations by and large in the LGBTQ community and, and out. So like, uh, Philadelphia Corporation for Aging will have programs to support people around, um, <clears throat> care planning and, do- you know, filling out documents. But the, <sighs> I guess what the issue is that, you know, and you, you mentioned it in, in this country, 80% of caregiving occurs within the family. Right. So, you know, so you got the, 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 the parents, the grandparents, the kids, the grandkids, the cousins, the, you know, the whole mishpucha. And, and, and that's what happens in the, in the family. And so, when you look at communities, when you look at LGBTQ people who um, we have both biologic and and um, <clears throat> families of choice, you know, we know that we are going to have a greater reliance on formal systems of care and support. So we're going to need the home health aides to come into our homes. We're going to need... Uh, <clears throat> senior housing and continuing care communities, we're going to need for those folks to understand the unique issues that LGBTQ older adults face. And so uh, an organization, uh, SAGE, uh, in New York, it's uh, services and advocacy for uh, LGBTQ seniors. Um, Basically, they have developed over the years a program on cultural competence and being certified at various levels, depending on the training, um, <clears throat> to be certified as a being culturally competent, culturally adept. So they come into an organization and they train the entire staff um, to basically look at LGBTQ 
older adults. Um, you know, looking at the fact that older adults have lived through another time when they've been discriminated against, uh, hassled, um, and, and so what we're doing is we're going out into organizations. We're going out to the home healthcare company and training. Um, we've done several trainings at, um, Bayada, uh, and, and organizations like that around LGBTQ families. Uh, so we're doing the training again. You know, we have a crisis, uh, in, uh, in direct care in in this country um we do not have enough direct care workers um to meet the the number of people coming into these facilities okay um they don't make a whole lot of money um so their their education level or their competence level might be uh might not be <clears throat> at the level that we would like um but these they still need to be trained and so we are advocating and and demanding that organizations that provide care uh that offer services for lgbtq people have a level of education and a level of training um much like much like uh the civil rights laws you know when it became illegal to discriminate against people of color, you know, all these training programs were developed to uh, help people understand the unique issues that people of color face, have faced. Um, and so just, you know, to, to have a better understanding so that you as, as a service provider can provide, can be provide competent care. A level of care that is uh, <clears throat> a level of care that that anyone should be anyone should get if they are coming into a facility if they're paying you know to live in a facility the staff of that facility the workers should be trained um, much like again much like people had to pass trainings in order to. Uh, uh, in order to keep pace with the civil rights laws. Um, uh, and so every time you've had a, a community, a population that has been granted freedoms in this country, folks need to be trained who those people are. What are the unique needs in those communities? Similarly, the same applies to LGBTQ. So SAGE, um, so for example, <clears throat> in Pennsylvania, the Department of Aging, you know, was wanted to come up to speed with regards to LGBTQ populations. We wanted the Commonwealth to be a safe place for all people to age. And there was nothing in our state plan on aging that even mentioned LGBTQ people. And so uh, we, we knew the Department of Aging, the Secretary of Aging knew that we, in order to to start doing training in order to start talking about LGBT cultural competence and what the what needed to occur within the Department of Aging to make sure that the, the 
department, the Pennsylvania Department of Aging was inclusive and, and, and basically providing equity to all older populations. They themselves, the Secretary of Aging, had SAGE come in and train the entire Department of Aging on LGBTQ cultural competence. And it was only then that the Secretary of Aging, who at that time was Teresa Osborne, uh, now it's Robert Torres, it was only then that the Department of Aging could say, we're on board, we've trained our folk, and so now when we talk about aging and LGBT, LGBTQ aging, we have a base of a baseline of knowledge. And so now we can go out and, and when we go out to a home health agency and we say, we are recommending that you be trained in cultural competence, you know, they can say, and we ourselves have been trained in this area. So they're walking the walk and they can talk the talk. You know, it, it, it seems to be the way you're describing this. Um, that with this issue of caregiving, uh, training, competency, awareness, uh, openness in the LGBTQ community, it's where you live is really a determining factor of your ability to access these services. So if you live in, let's just say the, the card or the I-95 card, the Boston, New York, Philadelphia, uh, Baltimore, Washington, that, the I-90. But what happens if you're in Meridian, Mississippi or, 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 you know, whatever? I'm just, and I'm going to pick on Meridian, Mississippi. I'm sure, I'm sure we have a lovely congregation there, but um, it, it's true though, isn't it? it right. I mean, it, it, this is, this is one of the inequalities, uh, not only of the healthcare system in general, because there's a lot of things. If you live in different states, you have access or you now legally cannot get access. Um, that is a real, that, that is a real concern. And I'm glad you pointed that out. But before we, before we start running out of time, I, I do want to ask you one other thing that we, that again, it keeps coming up, which is another reason why I, I wanted to have a conversation with you. As the community changes, um, the, I want to talk to you about grandparenting. And does, does, um, this, this has come up in some of our workshops. Um, does, are there organizations that reach out and help work with gr grandparents who are now dealing with grandchildren who are, uh, identifying as trans? Uh, who have come out as, you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and may not have any even understanding of the vocabulary. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll look at TV and they'll say, well, I'm a, a cis, you know, cisgendered, a, a cisgender, uh, I'm binary, I'm gender fluid, um, all these. And they'll say, my, oy, oy, what, what is that? What, what is it? What are my dear? Well, you know, just come give me a hug. Right. You know, have, a, have a piece of brisket. Right. So, and, and this is a growing, a growing phenomenon, especially with the vocabulary and, and the gender issues, especially amongst young adults and teenagers. 
how how is the LGBTQ community uh, working to sort of like either educate people or raise awareness or make the le- the playing field level? Yeah, so um, that's a great question, um, and and you know it's not just uh, I mean it's not just trans or queer kids. Um, you know it it can also be uh, we want to keep the family together. We don't want to put, we don't want to have to put the kids in foster care. Uh, and that could be, you know, uh, grandparents taking care of kids because their parents died or, uh, they've been in, in prison or substance abuse or violence or even teen pregnancy. I mean, there are, there are a host of issues that, that occur where the parents are not in the picture. And so grandparents, you know, will take care of their kids, be it straight or gay. And, uh, and there are actually in, in this area, there are, uh, three, uh, organizations. There is the grands, it's called GAP and it's called, it's grands as parents. Okay. It's an organization that, that, uh, lifts up grandparents and, and, and provides supportive services, education, training. Um, there is, uh, Grand Central Inc. Um, and there's supportive older women's network. So in Philadelphia, and I, I look, I just looked this up because I, I, uh, I wanted to have some information about this, but you know, again, it's, the, there's three organizations that provide support for grandparents, and it's basically emotional support, um, uh, sometimes financial support, uh, but uh, you know, educational support. So your issue of language, um, you know, that's uh, well known that uh, folk we have our own language, we have our own letters. And so it's important for people to understand what those letters mean. And those organizations can provide that information as well as Philadelphia Corporation for Aging, which has, uh, as an example, you know, like full circle, the Philadelphia Corporation for Aging understood that baby boomers were, uh, LGBTQ baby boomers, although, Rich, they, they didn't ask, you know, there was nothing in, in a PCA in their assessments or intake forms that asked if you were a member of the LGBTQ community. So one thing going back to, um, the older Americans act, um, in, in 2020, we lobbied the older Americans act that was coming up for, uh, uh, reauthorization. We lobbied them, uh, to make sure that they included LGBTQ and and older adults living with HIV. So two populations that had not been under the umbrella of the Older Americans Act, now um, they have to uh, do a number of things to um, make sure that they're aligned with the needs of LGBTQ people. And so that that was brilliant. 
you know, and so that was uh, thanks to all the advocates out there. And what that did, the Older Americans Act, is is the law that guides um, how states put together their state plans on aging. So now each state is required every four years to develop an, a plan on aging. And those plans now since 2020 need to incorporate LGBTQ and communities of people living with HIV. So it's, it's becoming like, you know, that, that circle is closing where we now, um, we now are going to be thought of. We're now going to be taken into account the LGBT older adults when we plan our state plan on aging. I am the, uh, co-chair the, of the aging work group of the governor's commission on LGBTQ affairs. Specifically, we've been working on how to make, how to provide uh, the policy being that all organizations that fall under aging are now required to, in their intake forms, are now required to include a question about, uh, are you a member of the LGBTQ community? I mean, to go to a, uh, <clears throat> the county office on aging, uh, in Montgomery County and ask how many older adults are you serving that are LGBTQ and to hear, like, we don't have anyone who's lgbtq here it's like crazy well you 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 don't have anyone here who's lgbtq because you don't ask the question and so you don't ask the question you don't know so it's like ignorance is bliss however as of 2020 that that started to change in that now in pennsylvania you must ask in your intakes and assessments you must include questions about orientation and identity, and we'll train you as a staff person on how to ask those questions sensitively so that people aren't, you know, angered by the question. So, you know, it's the policy, it's the training, um, and we're finally starting to ask those questions. And so people, and so we have to also let you know and train you around what the language is in the community itself. So the, the, it, it's very interesting that since the last time we spoke several years ago, as you've talked about this, and, and we're, we have to wrap this up because we're just about out of time, the, the, um, there has been this progress in a variety of different areas, the training progress, the late legislation progress, um, but still we, we are concerned about where you live and access um, and the growth, um, in the LGBT community right. as in, as in all communities about the, the growth of aging and the limited number of access professionals who are capable and trained to take care of us, which is a real, when you factor in the growth also of dementia and Alzheimer's and the fact that there are not that many people to take care of us, regardless of where, which community we're from. Um, it's challenging. It's a real, it's a real challenge. And, and, um, so far we still haven't come up with an answer because there are people and the pandemic, as, as you alluded to, the pandemic has lessened the number of people who are willing to take some of these home healthcare jobs. 
and just and just you know completely uh, messed with issues of isolation and uh, absolutely you know people on their own for two years uh, and you know you you mentioned before. Uh, Meridian, Mississippi. I'm going to say, you know, let's talk about um, Center County, Pennsylvania. You know, rural America, huge challenge in terms of aging. We don't have enough providers. There are more people aging uh, now and living uh, older. And so we're, we're, we have challenges uh, and, and possible crises uh, in the future. Well, the crisis is, I, I would suggest to you that the crisis is here. The society just doesn't want to deal with it right now because it's too frightening until, until your mother, your father, your sister, yeah. your brother, your son or your daughter comes to you. If you have that ability, Hesh Zinman, advocate and activist in the LGBT community. Thank you very much. We got lots to talk about on the next, their next visit. See where we are from there. In the meantime, Hesh, thank you very much. Please do me a favor. Stay safe, stay well, um, keep on fighting the fight, and um, thank you very much for your time. Thank Appreciate you, it. Rabbi. Appreciate it. To all of you, thank you very much again for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Again, if you'd like to connect with us, uh, rabbi address at jewishsacredaging.com. The website, jewishsacredaging.com. If you'd like to make a tax-free donation, to help support our work and these podcasts, go to the website and click on the donate button. We appreciate your support uh, and very grateful for your spending some of your time with us on all these issues that impact our own aging and longevity and our community's response. Seekers of Meaning is produced at the studios of Lubetkin Media Companies in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and a shout out to our producer, uh, Steve Lubetkin. Again, I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address. I thank you very much for joining us. I look forward to seeing you on our next Seekers of Meaning TV show and podcast. And in the meantime, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.